Meet me on the softer side. Meet me on the softer side. Softer side of your heart. Hi there, and welcome to the Skylight Books author reading series. You can find out about this and all of our other author events at www.skylightbooks.com, where you can also browse our inventory as well as order books online. You can also follow us on Twitter or even be our friend at Facebook.com. If you'd like to talk to a real person, we can be reached at 323-660-1175. And don't forget, Skylight Books depends on listeners like you to help support us. So whether you're in our neighborhood or browsing online, buy a book or two to help ensure that we'll be around for a long, long time. Thanks and enjoy. Who's a neuropsychiatrist, <clears throat> and his guy he's with is this guy named D. And Chance is kind of in the midst of this spectacular decline. He's going through a divorce. He's gotten involved with one of his patients. Her husband happens to be this corrupt homicide detective from Oakland. Um, he has enlisted the aid of Big D to kind of help him handle this situation. So the two of them have gone off to Oakland trying to do surveillance on, on the detective. They've, um, Big D has broken into the detective's car and downloaded some files from his laptop computer on his zip drive. And they're now trying to drive from uh, Oakland back to San Francisco which is there's a scene I'm going to read. All Dee has told Chance about this is that the mission was compromised. But Chance has no idea what that means. And Chance is a very timid guy. And the idea that the mission was compromised has really got him upset. And he's trying to find out what happened. So that's, this is what I'm going to read. A red moon broke from among the clouds to light the bay. San Francisco made ethereal in the aqueous light seemed to float somewhere just below it, hovering above the blackened waters, apparently free of the earth and therefore unbound by any of the usual constraints. As some embodiment of the crystal city, the place never failed to disappoint. It had been so since chance first laid eyes on it 20 years ago, fresh from the east and hoping to put the past behind him. The red-haired dancer, the death of his father, the calamity his life was in danger of becoming. He'd come like so many before him in flight from history, and he thought for a good long time that he'd actually managed it. He supposed he should have known. He thought of the note a professor had once attached to an important paper he had written for a class. It had been toward the end of things, the girl having claimed him, the downward spiral begun. It's harder than this, the man had written. The fuck, Chance said. They had been writing in silence for a good ten minutes. D draped an arm over the back of the seat and shifted his weight, apparently quite at ease. Some asshole came out of the place, he said finally. The massage parlor? No, man, the Mongolian grill, a midget with takeout. A moment went by. They had begun their descent. Chance realized that he had begun to speed and forced his foot from the accelerator. The cops kept an eye on the bridge. Fines for speeding were over the moon. Yeah, Dee said. The massage parlor. Some goon that worked there would be my guess. The guy was all geared up. Chance was forced to ask what was meant by 
all geared up. Mace, stun gun, could have been strapped, but I never saw it. Fucker caught me dead to rights getting out of Blackstone's Crown Vic. He might have been another cop, but I'm thinking private security. Kind of an Eastern European looking guy. Russians are deep into the whole massage parlor racket. Romanians too, it's all about white slavery, moving women. It's a shitty business. Whatever this guy was, he knew the car, and he knew it wasn't mine. He came right at me. What I'm wondering is, how does he know that? He either works, for Black, works with Blackstone, or he works for the joint. Thing that fucking worries me is how did he know to come out? Could be it was just some random thing like having a smoke or making his rounds, looking in on that lot because that's what he does, or, and it was here that Dee paused, they've got some kind of surveillance system. Now if they do, it's going to have to be pretty fucking high tech, as I looked all around and didn't see Dick. But that doesn't rule out the possibility. He looked to the west, a distant sea. That would not be good, the big man said. That would be fucked up in the extreme. It took another half mile for Chance to inquire as to just how fucked in the, up in the extreme it all might be. The big man held up a hand. On the first finger was a heavy ring. Chance was certain had not been there when Dee had gotten out of the car at the mouth of the alley. The band had no sheen to it in the muted light. It appeared as dull silver and quite wide. It looked big even on Dee's hand, and Dee's hands were the size of shovels. Chance watched as best he could while Dee turned his hand, revealing the ring as part of an exotic-looking blade that lay flat against his palm. A second movement brought the blade into play so that it extended for maybe two inches from the side of a closed fist where it curved like the fang of some predatory animal. Call it karambit, Dee told him. Lots of ways you can use it. Hook, stab, slice, great for controlling an opponent. He made some small movements with his hand in the air between them. You can enter a joint, separate vertebra. It's a very effective weapon, easy to conceal, almost impossible to disarm a guy who knows how to use one. You want, I'll teach you someday. Thanks, Chance told him. I believe I'll pass. That's a poor attitude, Doc. Chance declined a response. There's three kinds of people, Dee said. Here we go, Chance said. Dee ignored him, went on. Sheep, wolves, and sheepdogs. The sheep are afraid of the wolves, but they don't like the dogs much either. You look at it from the sheep's point of view, the dog is a lot like the wolf. He's got teeth like the wolf, he growls like the wolf, he smells like the wolf. Only time the sheep like the sheepdog is when the wolf comes. Then they like him. Rest of the time, they don't want to have to think about him, much less see him, you catch my drift. A little like the warrior-slave dichotomy. It's not a little like it, it's a lot like it. You learn to use the blade or you wait on the dog and hope the wolf doesn't get there first. Chance saw in this the opportunity for a broader discussion of free will, but declined to go there. Fucker peppered sprayed me, Dee said at length. Why your eyes were so red, I thought maybe you'd been crying. Oh, absolutely, that's what you thought? My attempt at gallows humor. That's good, Doc, you had me fooled. So he pepper sprayed you, so, so then what? Then nothing, then his problems began. Christ, I was in the teams who pepper sprayed each other for laughs. Shits for girls, something they carry in their purses to make them feel safer on blind dates or some fucking thing. Next thing after that is, he pulls a taser. If he'd pulled a piece and started shooting, he might have had a chance, but there he was with his pepper spray and taser, and he gave it a moment's thought. 
Could be he was just trying to handicap me. Thought if he could do that, he could beat the shit out of me and feel tough. He was a big guy. He paused once more to shake his head. Thing about a taser is you really need two of them to be effective. And even then you can fight your way out, you know how. These guys have no training. It's pathetic when you stop and think about it. Case of tonight, I used this to cut the line. He held the blade once more for chance to see before enclosing it in his fist. Got myself close enough to hook him through the ocular cavities and snap his neck. Jesus Christ, Chan said. It took another moment to recover some semblance of what might pass for his bearings. What happened to controlling your opponent? Dee ignored him. That's when things got really interesting, he said. Fucking Blackstone showed up. Guy must have beeped him or some fucking thing. He pops around a corner of the building like he'd come out the front and around to the side. My God, he saw you? Don't know, really. He probably saw something. It was dark. Lights were just coming on, corners of the buildings. I could see him pretty well, but it was still pretty dark where I was. He had something in his hand. Might have been a phone, might have been a gun. My vision was still a little fucked up from that spray. Only thing I could be sure about at that point was that I didn't want him getting any closer to where I needed to go, which was down that alley. Then I put the one in his chest I was telling you about, then I got out. You shot him? I was 30 seconds into a compromised situation, Doc. Last thing I needed was sound. You've seen my throwing blades. I might have tried for a kill shot, but like I said, you couldn't see. I didn't say I couldn't see. I couldn't see you and I wouldn't be sitting here. I could see who he was. I could see I hit him, and I could see he went down. There wasn't time to close. What I couldn't know was what had transpired between him and this goon. Maybe nothing, maybe a call. Maybe more help on the way, and like I said, you were 30 seconds in. Time to go, he said. My God, Chance said once more, I can't get my head around this. I can't find the terms. The man is dead. It happens. Who do you think this guy was? I have no idea. He was a soldier. He was armed. He had choices. He made a bad one. And there was no other way to end it? You think of one, I'm all ears. Disarm him, knock him out. You've knocked out a lot of guys in the course of your practice. Disarm them first, of course. Chance said nothing. There you go, Dee told him. They came to the freeway and southbound lanes where they drove once more in silence. The passage of time seemed of little consequence and the world changed. They came to the Waldo tunnel, tunnel in the Golden Gate Bridge. San Francisco lay in the distance, disappearing even as they watched it lost to a fog bank worthy of John the Revelator, so that by the time they had reached the middle spans of the great bridge, the thing toward which they pressed was gone, and what they entered was no longer the crystal city, but only a vast, impenetrable darkness. It was, Chance supposed, thinking now of the origin of things, how it had all begun, and how at some point, in the perhaps not too distant future, it would no doubt end. How then to make sense of the evening's progression? What difference would any of it make when all was said and done, when entropy and darkness had had their way? It was admittedly the long view, but then the long view was what he was after, the short one having been fucked up beyond all recognition. They had by now entered the city, though you'd be hard-pressed to know it. The car's wipers swept the windshields, squeaking audibly with each pass while doing little to improve visibility. 
wasn't that bad, really, when you stop and think about it, Dee said. I was wearing latex, cop never had a clean visual, and nothing of mine left at the scene. All in all, I would say it was a pretty clean op. Not perfect, but still pretty clean. Exit was a little fucked up, but that's on you, brother. Chance didn't trust himself to speak. He had taken to imagining what it must have looked like, a man hooked through the ocular cavities. You know what I'd like, Dee said? I'd like a fucking malted. The old kind, where they actually put the malt powder in so it's not just milk and ice cream. A moment passed. My mother turned me on to those, he added. There was some place in the city she used to take me. You know where we can get one? It was, Chance thought, the first he had heard Dee mention family of any kind. And what's more, that till this moment, he might just as well have been willing to believe the man at his side, not only without the usual progenitors, but sprung fully formed from his own forehead, the product of some mysterious singularity. That said, Chance was more than willing to engage in an outing, and no chore too absurd. In truth, he was grateful that Dee had come up with something for them to do. Anything short of more bloodletting would have served. Anything to spare himself the empty apartment he knew to be lying in wait for him out there. The fog. Rather, he imagined like the proverbial beast in the jungle, waiting to spring. The great ice cream cunt. <laughs> the, great, the great ice cream hunt, which is how he came to think of it. <laughs> began somewhere near Fisherman's Wharf while the night was yet young. It ended at a place called Ruby's at the far end of Ocean Beach, where one had a feeling that a good many other things had ended as well. The air smelled of wet sand and dying kelp. Unseen waves thundered at them from across the great highway. A number of drinks calling themselves malted had by now been purchased and consumed along the way, but none were to Dee's liking. This didn't keep him from pounding them down. Strawberry was his flavor of choice. Chance had pressed on in hopes of finding an actual drink, but none had been available till Ruby's. Ruby's was the real deal, a genuine full-service establishment, all worn plaster and shipped for mica. The linoleum flooring was laid out in old-fashioned checkerboard patterns of green and black. Memorabilia covered the walls, enough to suggest the place had been there since before the Great Flood. A black-faced clock with white hands in the likeness of Mickey Mouse at its center read 12 o'clock, straight up when they came through the door that opened to the highway and the beaches beyond. It was half past two when they left. In the interim, they sat opposite one another in a red Nagahide booth like any other pair of Nighthawks. Food followed drinks, at least for Dee, who opted for the bacon-wrapped cheeseburger times two, french fries, and a large Diet Coke. Chance watched, nursing a bottle of Rolling Rock beer. My God, he said finally, it was perhaps Dee's mention of his mother. This in concert with the fact that Chance was a little drunk that led to his addressing the big man as if he, as if he were just one more of the planet's mortals. Do you ever worry about diabetes? He was looking at the ray of food and remnants thereof spread out on the table before them. I take medication for that, Dee said matter-of-factly. Ah, and your cholesterol? Cholesterol is great. Blood pressure is great. At which point Dee embarked on an elaborate apology for the use of salt in eliminating fat from the diet. The theory, such as it was, appeared to hinge on the notion that salt had been shown in as effective cleaning agent in removing grease from skillets. The big man went on at some length, all the time adding ever more salt to the food on his plate. 
But Chance was finding it difficult to follow, nor did it occur to him to ask if the other was serious. Four years of medical school, an internship, two residencies at prestigious hospitals, credentials up the wazoo, who was he to question anything? He was the guy who had run away with a schizophrenic dancer, robbed the family money, and broken his father's heart. Failed husband and father, now wheelman in flight from a murder and botched robbery on the outskirts of Oakland, is who he was. Thank you very much. Do you have any questions? I had a friend of mine who's kind of a father figure, gave me tackle swords. Kid, basically. Um, grew up on Long Island, been surfing my whole life. And, uh, it was the coolest book I ever read in my life, and those books after it were just amazing. And I just had a question to ask you. It's kind of two parter. Um, did you have any buddy that kind of influenced those characters? I thought those were some of the coolest characters I ever heard in my life. <laughs> You know, whatever happened to Ike Tucker, yeah. that kind yeah. of thing. The surfing novel. Yeah. Just... I don't know what happened to Ike Tucker. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, I don't I don't know that there were any... Well, actually, there was a, the kid. I was refinishing furniture at the time. I was working in a little place in, in San Clemente with a friend of mine that had a, re, a furniture shop, and we, were, we refinished furniture. And one day, this... Um, well, we had met this guy who lived in this vacant lot. He lived in this big box he'd kind of built for himself back there in this vacant lot. He turned out to be a really good surfer. And so he started working with us. And one day, his little brother showed up. And his brother was this kind of little biker jailbird kid with like a big American eagle on one arm and an American flag on the other. And, um, and he had a big, huge, his whole side of his face was all swollen up the day I met him. And, and it turned out that he had been working in Huntington Beach. He'd kind of been working for this biker drug dealer guy. And his job was to kind of go to the pier, pick up runaway girls, and bring them back to party at this guy's place. And so that's kind of how the guy could get laid. And if the kid's name was Brett. He's no longer with us. And if Brett failed to, you know, accomplish his mission, the guy was liable to just like deck him. And he had the guy's place was upstairs, and he had like punched Brett, and Brett had fallen down these stairs, and decided I got to get out of Huntington Beach. So anyway, so Brett came and started hanging out with us and surfing with us and stuff. And when I heard that, I just I, there was something about Brett that he was this, he was kind of a street tough kid, but he was also a real innocent and kind of sweet in a way. And and he suggested a character. And um, that was kind of the beginning of that of that book, was, was this kid and this thing he'd stumbled into with that biker. Well, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh. Well, if that's the case, what informed the storyline of Pomona Quinn? <laughs> well, yeah. Well, I had always harbored this. You know, my family. I can't. I grew up in the Pomona Valley, and, and my great grandfather came out to grow oranges in the mid 1880s, and and started out in fairly high fashion. He had 
10 or 20 acres of oranges and he had interest in various things. He had an interest in a marmalade factory up in Modesto and in, at the age of about 40 he went up to visit his marmalade factory, drank bad water and died of typhoid fever. And his wife basically supported her daughters by selling off all the stuff he had kind of been part of. And by the time the depression hit, my dad was little, everything had really kind of fallen into ruin. So I'd always kind of harbored <laughs> a kind of Faulknerian conceit, but the decline of my family in some way mirrored the decline of the valleys, like that line in uh, Absalom, Absalom, where Quentin Shreve says to Quentin, I think it is, tell me about the South. And he tells him the story of his family. And so I, I kind of thought, you know, this, somehow in the story of my family, there was contained the story of Pomona Queen. And, and so I, um, that was kind of the starting point for that. And then I, I used to sell those vacuum cleaners door to door. And so it was, it was a, there was some pretty good autobiographical stuff in there. Um, <laughs> yeah, I had, some, I had some fun with that one. <laughs> I love the character of Big D. He's just, uh, to me, like the, the idea of representing street justice and delivering it, most importantly. It's, uh, it's part of us, you know, the, the yin and yang, you know, the, the alter ego that you want to do. Like, you know, when uh, Chance is sitting there in the car, you know, he's, he's sort of haunting, and he just basically he comes out, and he's just like, he lays it down. So he does what all of us all the time want to do. Mm-hmm. Like that, just like, I wish someone would a lot of people would say he's like almost a superhero. Uh-huh. Is he based on anybody real? <laughs> yeah, he is. He's uh, um, there's at the end of the book. I thank three different people. I thank a guy named Jonathan Mueller, who's a neuropsychiatrist in San Francisco. I thank a guy named Ronald Newquist, who's a homicide detective in San Diego. And then I also thank a guy named Tom Kyer, who's is is a big D like character. He kind of grew up on the streets of Philadelphia. Um, making his living, doing collections, all kinds of stuff. Eventually, he now to, now he makes his living mainly with military contracts, teaching Navy SEALs how to fight with knives. So he's a pretty interesting guy. So And I hung out with him as I was working on the book, too. And kind of wanted to... <laughs> I think he's. I think he's probably delivered a fair amount of street justice in his day. <laughs> he comes in at about 350 pounds. He's a. He's a big. He's a big boy. Uh, <laughs> I've read T. Y. Strait's *Tapping the Stars*, *Dog Boy*, *Elizabeth*. Uh-huh. I've read a few Seems like there's a theme of. I've only been in California for a couple of years. So I'm getting used to this crazy place. It seems like. <laughs> it seems like. It's like a place of great beauty and a lot of broken dreams. That seems to be the theme of those books. Can you speak to that at all? Well, um, yeah, I mean, that's kind of the the um, part of the, the, the function that California has and in, in our kind of national mythos is, you know, this, that was the whole idea of Western expansion, you know, that you kept, you keep leaving the old shit behind and, and keep reinventing yourself. And ultimately, you know, California, and then you run into the ocean. <laughs> so, so it turned out to be as far west as you could go. But there was a, you know, I think the, the little piece that I read, it talks about Chance coming to California in flight from history. 
And I think that was true for a lot of a lot of people. And of course, wherever you get, then that's where you are, and you've brought all your stuff with you. <laughs> but uh, um, but I, I think. California as a place for forgetting history, for reinventing yourself, is 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 a place that it, it kind of has that in our kind of national you know mythos. If different parts of the country kind of represent different things, I think California has maybe represented that for a lot of people. Yeah, well, Day of the Locust is a great one. Um, that's got the great line in it that I have tried to steal at different various times, where, where he says, uh, "You know, it's it's the narrator Todd is talking about the you know these these, these hillbillies who kind of came out and trying to reinvent themselves, basically, you know, to get a, get away from the past." And he says, "You know, every day they read the newspapers and." And and every day they went to every day of their lives they read the newspapers and they went to the movies, and this that newspapers and the movies fed them on love nest and wrecks and explosions and and various kinds of bloodletting and, and pretty soon he says the sunshine and oranges were no longer enough for them, they demanded intrigue they demanded blood they had become sophisticates, <laughs> I like that. But you know, a cool book set in California that a lot of people don't know about is Newton Thornberg's, Newton Thornberg's book. Uh, uh, I think the book is Cutter and Bone, and then they made a movie called Cutter's Way, which is not a bad movie either, but it's also a very good book set in Santa Barbara, uh, which is, I don't know how many people know that book, but it's, it's worth finding. Jeff Bridges in that movie? Yeah. yeah, it was Jeff Bridges and John Hurt, and it was not a bad movie. Um, but it's it's also a really good book. So, um, John from Cincinnati. So, <laughs> you know, I, I I gotta say I, I loved it, but I wasn't exactly sure why. I mean, you had the whole family story <laughs> going on there, and that made perfect sense. And then here was the guy from like I don't know where space or whatever. We never quite figured out where he was from either, but that I mean, was. I thought that was great. <laughs> you know, at the end of every episode, I was just shaking my head thinking. Yeah, it was a very audacious show, a kind of brave show in a lot of ways, and it was kind of heartbreaking that it couldn't have gone on, you know. But uh, you know, it was what it was. But it was a, uh, it was an interesting experience, you know, working on that with David Milch. And, yeah, and no, was, I mean, I, I just because that was your story, right? I mean, or, or was that a collaboration? No, it was a, oh, it was a collaboration. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't ever if, if you work with David Milch, it's not really <laughs> your story. It's, <laughs> it's if at best it's a collaboration, you know, but uh, but I enjoyed it. I enjoyed working with him. He's he's a really interesting guy. He's not afraid to take chances with stuff, and you know you, they don't always work out. But it's you know if you've got to be actually a worked worked on a project uh, in Hollywood with a guy who'd been in the Navy SEALs for a number of years, and he knew the Tom Kyer character, and. We were talking about Tom Kyer once, this guy Mark and I, and I said, you know, how would you, because Mark's a, a tough guy, and I said, how would you fight a guy like that? He's so big. And Mark said, I love to fight a guy like that. He goes, it's, he's a challenge. He goes, if you're not scared, what's the point? And I said, that's a really different approach than I've always taken. You know? <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, 
But I do think it applies in a way. It applies to art, you know, and to, to writing. I mean, if, if you're not scared, what's the point? You know, if you're not going to take some chances, if you're not going to kind of swing for the fences, you know, what's the point in doing it? You know, and uh, so that was part of what was fun about John from Cincinnati. You know, whether it you think that it succeeded or failed, it was audacious in its undertaking, and I think we did we swung for the fences. <laughs> whether or not we got there is another another matter, but uh, you know. Uh, so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so die. I had fun with it. Yeah. So. Anyone else? Thank you very much. Oh, sure. Thank you. This is You've been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget that you can check out this and all of our other great podcasts at www.skylightbooks.com. Today's music was provided by Fragile Gang. You can check them out at MySpace, Facebook, and the iTunes Music Store. Thanks for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.